ಓಂ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮಾವರುಣೇಂದ್ರೂದ್ರಮಲ್ತಸ್ತೂನ್ವಂತಿಬ್ಬೈಸ್ತೈಸಂಗಪದಕ್ರಮೋ
first verse of Viveka Churamani. First verse of Viveka Churamani. Swami Banishani. Om Harihi Om. Most revered Srimad Swami Swahanandaji Maharaj, revered Swami Sarvadevanandaji, dear and revered monastic members, and dear friends. It's a privilege to be here this morning to share a few ideas on Vedanta with you all. As you know, Shankaracharya is the high priest of non-dualism. He has commented on the three pillars or canons of Hinduism, like the Upanishads, the Gita, and the Brahma Sutras. It is difficult to find out the exact philosophy discussed by Shankara in those big books. So he himself felt it necessary to give a brief resume of his philosophy in a small book. This is called the Viveka Chudamani, that is his last book. And here in this book he gives many points about this non-dual Vedanta. And I have chosen the first verse because it contains a lot about this philosophy. Well, before going into details about this verse, I would try to give you an idea about what Vedanta is according to Shankara. Vedanta, generally speaking, means non-dual Vedanta, but actually it encompasses the whole gamut of the scriptures which come under this name. So dualism, qualified monism, and monism, these three things come together under the one head called Vedanta. Shankaracharya, therefore, uses this word in the first verse itself, Sarva Vedanta Siddhanta, Sarva Vedanta. It is not only non-dual Vedanta, but Sarva Vedanta. So Vedanta means not exactly a philosophy. The word in Sanskrit is Darshana. Darshana is not exactly translated as philosophy. Darshana means revelation, realization. And philosophy sometimes include speculative concepts. Therefore, they may not be nearer to the revelations. I would give you an example to understand this. Suppose there are a few people on the tenth floor of a house below which on the ground we are standing and looking at them. They are giving the description how they could get to that height. They went using staircases, escalators, elevators, so their explanations or description of the pathway that leads to that height 
are not speculative. They are their experiences. So in these scriptures, the books called Vedanta, we have all these experiences collected together. Therefore, these books are ready reconners for all spiritual aspirants. They are not based on any speculative philosophy, but they are based on direct experiences. As Ramakrishna says, somebody has heard of milk, somebody has seen milk, somebody has drunk milk. The difference is that a person who has heard of milk, has read about milk, can write a thesis on it and get a PhD. But the thing is that he has never seen milk. Somebody has seen milk, he can add something, some more ideas about it and get a PhD on this. Everything is based on data, but these data are not available from the source which should prove the thing to be true. Sri Ramakrishna says somebody has drunk milk. So the person can add one information more that it has a taste. But Sri Ramakrishna is a little clever in this respect. He says that somebody has drunk milk. The idea is that by drinking milk, not only, not only we get the taste of milk, but also we are nourished by it. That is the truth about spirituality. We not only know about it, but we are nourished by it. So Vedantic truth, they are not only information, but they are things which have nourished so many lives spiritually. So, in this word, Vedanta Shankaracharya means that a kind of information which is direct. There is no speculation about it. So there is no chance of being misled by these things. This thing has been discussed in many of the treatises, particularly in the Panchadashi, Sambadi Brahma, Asambadi Brahma, like that. There is a thing signing somewhere far away. Then I take it for a jewel and I run to get it. And when I get it, it is called a Sambadi Brahma. Means initially when I started, I started with some assumption that could be untrue. But when I reach there, I find that there was really a jewel. So, Vedanta teaches us this kind of, gives us this kind of information. So by the word Vedanta, we should understand that this is a ready reconner to help us in our spiritual journey. Then, the word Viveka. What is the meaning of Viveka? Shankaracharya is very, very clear about it. And Sri Ramakrishna is there to help us with very simple analogies. Sri Ramakrishna says, Sarvada sadasat vichar kurbe. Sat and asat, what is true and what is untrue, what is real and what is unreal. Sometimes we may say that it is a kind of discrimination between what is good and what is bad. But there may be some kind of discrimination which would discriminate between what is bad and what is worse. This type of cases happen. Take, for example, the extreme case at childbirth. 
one has to decide, sometimes the case might be like that, that one has to decide between whether to save the child or to save the mother. We do discriminate. But if we save the mother, we kill the child. If we save the child, we kill the mother. So both are bad. But we have to decide which one is worse. Sankaracharya does not speak about such <clears throat> a discrimination where we discriminate between what is good and what is bad, or what is electable or what is delectable, what is preferable, what is pleasurable. But he says we have to decide or discriminate between what is permanent and what is impermanent, what is real, what is unreal. This kind of discrimination is spoken about here. Shankaracharya, following this, in other, another verse will say, Nitya Nitya Vastu Vivekaha. This is a discrimination between what is real and what is unreal, what is permanent and what is impermanent. Now let us begin with this idea of reality. What is real? What is real? We don't have a sense of it. But the Upanishads are not afraid of giving direct answer. It says, Pratibodha viditam matam. Pratibodha viditam matam. It is known to you with each and every modification of your mind. You know it is there. Sri Ramakrishna gives a beautiful example. When he says, there are various kinds of vegetables which are being boiled in a pot. And the child will stand and look at it and say, oh, a potato is jumping out. A, another vegetable uh, is coming up and going down. All these movements in these vegetables which are inert are possible because there is a fire behind it. So the movements, cognition of our buddhivritti modifications of the mind will prove that there is something behind this for which we are able to recognize or cognize these movements, these modifications. So this is what is called real. Means we know that it is there, therefore everything is possible here. To give a better example, suppose our existence. I am a person, I exist. Do I need any proof for this? How many people know that I exist? Maybe 200 people in this world know that a person like Swami Baneshananda exists in this world. But how many people do not know? Six billions. Six billions. So if six billion people do not know that I exist, that does not mean that I do not exist. For my existence, I do, do not require any proof. It, it is self-evident. Therefore, in Vedanta they say, reality is that which does not require any proof for its, its existence. It is self-evident. It does not require any proof because it is the only thing which is prooflessly evident. Mind you, this in, the, in logic they say, this is the only thing which is prooflessly evident. We don't require any proof for our existence. The world needs proof. We have got all the senses. I have got the eyes. If I close the eyes, light does not exist. If I close my ears, sound does not exist. It can be proved immediately. But my existence, in spite of inabilities of all the senses, I 
do exist. I know that I exist. Therefore, for this, no proof is required. But what is unreality? Unreality is very, very difficult to explain. Though that is our exp experience, every moment we are experiencing this unreality. Sometimes we say, Maya, unreality, means illusion, or Maya means relative existence. Let us probe into this. Maya does not say, Maya is not illusion, neither Maya is non existence. And even Maya is not relative existence. I will give you an example. We just go to Sri Ramakrishna again for help. He is there to help us always. And with very easy examples, Sri Ramakrishna says, there are various types of dolls made of sugar. A camel, an elephant, a fish, or anything like that. And the child is going with the father, and the child wants to eat. And the child looks at all these figures, and the child likes a wonderful horse. To the child, the horse is wonderful, but to the father, it is nothing but sugar. And he knows that this fellow goes on eating sugar or sweet or chocolate from the morning. So he tries to take him away. So he says, no, let us go forward and we will get better things like that. Because for the father, these horses, these camels, these elephants, they are nothing but sugar. So what is real, what is unreal in this? Sugar is real because it is available everywhere. But this name as camel, this form as camel, they are unreal. Therefore, they are relative. They have an existence between their creation and destruction. So, Maya is like that. It is just a combination of name and form. So when the name and form were not there, Maya was not there. So how does Maya come into existence? It is called relativity. Relativity itself. It is neither relative existence, nor non-existence, nor even delusion or illusion. It is relativity. It is very true for those who are within the scope of this relative existence. So relativity is our ingredient by which we are created as individuals. We call ourselves individuals because we can define ourselves. Definition means we can give dimension to our personality, individuality. These dimensions, these dimensions are nothing but limitations. And then only we are called individuals. So, Maya is relativity. Shankaracharya, he was not a big scientist like we have today, but he gives a beautiful example. He says when a boat is running fast, when a boat is sailing fast, then you would see that the trees on the bank, they are receding very fast to the opposite direction. How does it happen? It depends on our location. Similarly, relativity or maya defines our location, where we are. And therefore, we prove to be within the scope of maya. Therefore, it is difficult for us to say anything beyond this maya. They say, the time began with Big Bang. 
Similarly, the Upanishads, the Vedanta says, time began with a big Om. We say Om, they say bang. That is the difference. <laughs> but they are only sound. Om is a sound. Bang is also a sound. Creation started in Vedanta with a big Om. That is a sound. And Akasha was created. The space was created. Similarly, in science also, is, we say time was created with big bang. And we cannot calculate time beyond that. Similarly, we are the product of science, product of time, and it has no beyond within the scope of this Maya. When we are able to realize our reality, realize our goal, spiritual goal, realize ourselves, then we are able to go beyond Maya, not before that. Therefore, with this understanding, Viveka has to go. Otherwise not. We can discriminate between what is real and what is unreal. And then that is what is called giving a U-turn. If we look at this world, we look through our senses. And we recognize and recognize this world with the help of our senses. So we have to give a U-turn to this. And then we'll be able to look within. So how does it happen? Pariksya lokan karma chitan. Brahmano nirveda maya. We are searching for happiness outside, but we don't find it. Why doesn't we find it? Why don't we find it? The answer is, suppose I want somebody here. I go to that room, I don't find that man. Why is it so? Why don't we find that man there? Because that man is not there. Therefore, we won't find it. We are searching for a happiness Outside this world, where it is not there. So happiness is inside, therefore we have to turn our gaze towards ourselves. That is why in Vedanta they say, the search is for your own self. Then it, is, it will be fulfilled, otherwise not. If I want to know you, how much of you can I know? I can know of your feature, I can know, know of some identical things, identities of you, not more than that. But if, suppose somebody is standing and I go and ask him, who are you? He will look at me and give a slap and tell me, that's none of your business. <laughs> so, but if we want to know ourselves, there is no problem. We can go inside and look into ourselves. And that knowledge is the highest knowledge because our query ends within itself. That is the idea of Vedanta. Veda Anta. Veda Anta means the end of our knowledge, the end of our search. There are two meanings of this word Vedanta and one more meaning I would like to add. One meaning is that Vedanta is Vedanta, end of the Vedas. Vedas are the books. Vedanta is the end of these Vedas. And Vedanta also means end of our search or end of our knowledge. This Ishvanta, it ends within itself. We end our search in ourselves. Therefore, the Vedanta meaning is that our search ends within ourselves. There is the highest and ultimate satisfaction and happiness. And another meaning is there that is a little bit funny. You see, Vedanta, Vedanta. When you lose all teeth, then you study Vedanta. <laughs> Dentists. When you lose all teeth, go to the dentist and lose all teeth, then you are fit to study Vedanta. Really, it is a meaning. But they don't include it. Because in olden days, 
In olden days, the Mimangsakas, they used to say, Vedanta is meant for old people who have left with no energy to do any other work, so they will study this Vedanta and do all this Jnana Chachadi. You say Jnana Chachadi means all this um, uh, confusion with Jnana. So, this is another meaning, Vedanta means it is meant for old age. Shankaracharya tells it is not true. It is not true because it is a search towards within yourself. Therefore, it can start at any moment. Rather, he was telling that duality can be practiced by those who are old. You know, you are familiar with the Mohamudgara or Bhajagobindam Sloka. One day Shankaracharya was going for his early morning bath in the Ganges. Then he saw one old man, very old, even older than me. He was sitting there and memorizing the sutras of Panini grammar. So he was memorizing Dukring Karane, Dukring Karane. If he reads Dukring Karane, is forgotten. And if he reads Karane, Dukring is forgotten. <laughs> Therefore, he goes on reading Dukring Karane, Dukring Karane. Shankaracharya stood there and he was so young, 32 years. And he looked at this man and said, what a nonsense. And this man is going to die. There is no time. There is no time at all for him. And he is just blabbering with this secular knowledge. So he came back and he wrote this famous poem, Dukring Karane. Samprapti sannihite marane nahi nahi rakshati Dukring Karane. When you are at the door of death, when the do death is knocking at your door, then you have no other way but to think on the Lord, take the name of the Lord. And that is how you will utilize time. They say time is the ingredient of this maya. And we do a lot of studies on time management. People everywhere, in the West, in the East also, we do time management. What is the idea? They say beating the clock. Beat the clock means gain more time out of your schedule so that you can spend this time whiling away anywhere. So that is the idea of time management in modern day concept. But Shankaracharya gives a clue to this. What is time management? He says, Kala kridati gachati ayuhu. The time is playing with us and what we are losing, that is our life. Sometimes Sri Ramakrishna gives a beautiful example. He says, I see people are playing cards as if they have no time to think on God. So we play cards just to kill time. We have so much time in our possession that we don't know what to do with it. So we try to kill time. But the truth is that each and every moment of our life is being spent uselessly. There is an equation. They say, if you have a goal or purpose in life, then your time will be measured in life scale. If we have a purpose or goal in life, our time will be measured in life scale. And if we do not have, have a purpose in life, then our life will be measured in time scale. That is the truth about it. A tree lives for 100 years. What is that to us? It just spends time. But if we are aware of this time, it just plays with us. And what we are losing, that is our life, not time. Each and every moment of our time is being spoiled, misused. That is why we should be very much careful about this maya, which is playing a trick with us, as it were.
Now, I will recite this sloka, this verse. That is a beautiful verse. Shankaracharya has put all the meanings of this treatise into this one verse. How to go about it, how to read it. He says, Sarva Vedanta Siddhanta Gocharam Tam Agocharam. There is a contradiction. Gocharam Agocharam. Sarva Vedanta Siddhanta Gocharam. This Brahman, a reality, is knowable from the information available in the Vedas or Vedantas. Tam Agocharam, because that reality is not knowable with the help of information we get in this material world. Govindam Paramanandam. Govindam, that is a conscious reality. Govinda was his guru. In the name of Sankaracharya's guru is Govindapada. Another meaning is that this is the name of the creator who has created this universe. So, Govindam Paramanandam, that is a conscious principle who has created this. Paramanandam, he is absolute bliss, absolute consciousness, absolute bliss. Sadgurum, I was reading the English transliteration. It says, Shad Gurum. Really, seeing the, seeing the endeavors of the disciples, the gurus become sad. Therefore, Sad Gurum. It is not exactly that. It is Sadgurum. Sadgurum means Sat. Sat means the existence. The Guru represents the existence. So, it is absolute existence, absolute knowledge, and absolute bliss. That is what is called the reality. It is different from what is known in this world to be matter or material existence. So, the meaning of the first line of this verse is that Sarva Vedanta Siddhanta Gocharam. Now I will give an idea. When Swami Vivekananda has analyzed this and he has said that two types of people. Suppose I am trying to understand the theories in physics, then I collect a book which is called Sanskrit Grammar and try to go through it and don't find this there. Then I say there is nothing called physics. No subject which is called physics. Then somebody is trying to understand Sanskrit Grammar and goes through a book which is called Chemistry and he won't find any formula or sutras of some, uh, Sanskrit in that. Why does it happen? Swamiji says, both of them are reading books, but they are reading wrong books. They are reading wrong books, trying to find a thing which is not there. In logic, there is some fun about it, you see. They say, in a dark room, a blind man is trying to find a dark cat, black cat. In a dark room, a blind man is trying to find a black cat. And they say Buddhists will find it because it is not there. <laughs> so, in a dark room, they are trying to find a black cat which is not there. But Buddhists will find it because it is not there. So, this is a funny thing. So, Swami Vivekananda says, we are reading books, but they are wrong books. They won't give us that information. Suppose I collect some material, some data. As I said, Vedanta is data, samples. So our search is data-based to use this modern language of computer. Our search is based on data, so data-based. Now see, here Shankaracharya says, 
Sarva Vedanta Siddhanta Gocharam. It is to be known from the information which is available from these Vedantas. Now, suppose I collect some samples and data from the moon. We have collected some data. Ten scientists sit and they analyze these samples and they come out with their findings. And after a big conference, they come out with a big, big announcement. What is this announcement? There is no Mars. How ridiculous it is. There is no sample from Mars. All the samples are collected from Moon. And after analyzing those things, we came out with a stupid discovery. What is that? There is no Mars. The same thing is happening with us. Shankaracharya says, Tam agocharam. You are trying to find reality which is not there in this world. This world is unreal. We are trying to find reality. We are trying to find happiness here which is not there. Tam agocharam. So what are we doing? We are trying to find the... We are trying to say that there is no Mars. So, uh, analyzing the samples which we gather from moon. So the idea is that Shankaracharya says that the logic should be like this. We should collect samples from that source. So not collecting samples from moon and finding out that there is no Mars. We have to collect samples from that source. So this world does not contain any data about that Brahman because that is transcendental. It transcends the scope of this material universe. Therefore, how do we find it here? We are analyzing everything in our laboratories based on samples and data which we get from this world. Therefore, it won't help us because we are th trying to search the transcendental reality. So there was a nice incident. I will narrate it to you. I used to go to the IIT and uh, Anna University in Chennai and then some guardians, means the faculty members, they organized a summer camp for their children. Now, neither did they know nor did I know how to talk to these kids. They were up to 15 years. How to talk to these kids. So they were also thinking what the Swami will tell because he goes to the IIT and he talks with the seniors. Then how he will be able to manage these things with the children. But it was really nice because when I saw these children, then I thought, let me make some fun with these children. So I said, you see, do you go to, I asked them, do you go to school? They said, yes, all of us. Then I asked them, do you um, study arithmetic, learn arithmetic there? They said, yes. I said, I have also learned this arithmetic, but so many years back. So let me test my knowledge. I told, I have learned that 2 into 3 equal to 5. They looked at each other and said, no, it is not correct. I said, no, oh, then it would be 2 plus 3 equal to 6. They said, no, that is not also correct. Then I, did, I, then I asked, uh, how do you say that they are not correct? 2 into 3 equal to 5, why it is not correct? Then these young children, they gave a beautiful reply. They are not correct because our teacher said <laughs> that 2 into 3 equal to 6, not 5. They are not correct. I said, okay, but how does your teacher say that? Then say, they, that is there in our book. See the understanding of children. They know things really. Then I asked them, do you know what is this true? 
this too? Where does it live? How old is he? What are his parents' name? They don't know. These are just concepts. These are just concepts. 2 plus 3 equal to 5, this is just a concept. And all our hard science is based on these conceptual things. In economics, we base things on concepts. Big economic kingdom is going on everywhere. And this is nothing but concept. Suppose we have a $100 bill. What is the value? The face value is $100 because it is written on that. What is the real value? Suppose we suffer from inflation. Then $100 means 100 cents minus 2, 98 cents. That is the real value of this dollar. What is the intrinsic value? Paper, printing. How much is it? We don't know. But what is the real value of this? Suppose a man like Robinson Crusoe, who is stranded in a, an isolated island, he has got a billion dollars in notes. What will he do with these notes? He has no store there. He has nobody there, nothing to buy. What will he do? He will make his use of it to make or tend fire. That is the real value of these dollar notes. So like that, in this world, things go conceptually. They are not true. They are not true. That's what science says. They try to find out if the world is created with a big bang, whether it is going to end with a big crunch. Even Stephen Hawking tries to understand if the time arrow can be reversed. He cannot find a time beyond this big bang, so he tries to find if this time arrow can be reversed. It cannot be. Vedanta says it need not be, because it is just in circular motion. So wherever you begin, you come back to that point and again go, go round and round this, so it has no beginning, no end as a creation. So therefore, here, Shankaracharya says, our logic has to be based on data available from the transcendental source. So the scriptures are source, books, from, uh, which contain data about the transcendental source. And the gurus and teachers, they are there to help us. These are the understanding of these little kids. They say, because the teachers have said so, because it is there in the book, we have also teachers, we have also books. If you follow these teachers and the books, then surely we are going to realize. Otherwise, not. It is just running after a black cat in a dark room by a blind man, and the cat is not there. It is like that. So, Sarva Vedanta Siddhanta Gocharam Tam Agocharam. Then how to go about this? How to realize this Brahman? That is the answer Shankaracharya gives in this next line. Sat Gurum who is existence and knowledge and bliss. So now let us look at Sri Ramakrishna. Shankaracharya explains it in many words in this Viveka Chudamani, but for everything we have to go to Sri Ramakrishna because he is the doctor. He knows, he can diagnose things and can give us the proper idea. He says, God has two unique occasions to laugh at our stupidity to laugh at our stupidity. Two unique occasions. What are those two unique occasions? One is when two brothers are dividing a piece of land between themselves. They are dividing equal division, 50-50. And you know, when there is a division like this, there is always a chance for a better half. 
we find a better half in dividing things. So a brother is telling, this portion belongs to me. Another brother says, no, that belongs to me. That is one occasion. Another occasion is when doctor comes and assures the grieving parents, saying, don't be so much afraid. I am there, I will save your child. God laughs and thinks, who is the savior? Who is the savior? That these things are happening. Now, let us take up the first example because that is, we are, that is relevant for our discussion. Sri Ramakrishna says, two brothers are dividing a piece of land. One is telling, this is mine. Another is telling, no, that is mine. Now, God laughs at this type of stupidity of human beings because he says things, who has created this world? I have created this world and they are trying to find ownership in it. They are trying to find ownership in this. I have created this world. And they are trying to find ownership in it. That is the thing which is happening with all of us. We are trying to find ownership in things which do not belong to us, which we have not created at all. We are trying to find ownership. And that is what is called a relational reality. We are trying to find a relational reality between us and the things which we have not created, which we do not own actually. And... This is the kind of maya which are suffering from. This is a reality, but it is a relative reality, and it is suffering from this relativity. So, this, this is the ownership which we are trying to find in the world. And this ownership is how much? How much is the ownership? Tolstoy says, after all, how much land does a man need? Two meter and a half, that may be more than enough. But after all, how much land does a man need? Socrates went round the marketplace of Athens and came out with this momentous discovery. What is it? He said, there are so many things in the marketplace which I do not need. Which I do not need. And when we go to a store, what we do, do we see? There are not so many things in the store which I need, so I have to go to another store. That is the truth about our ownership. And I will give you an example. This Vedanta is based on a kind of knowledge to know about ourselves. For a knowledge to be valid, three things are required. One is the knower, another is the object of knowledge, and in between this knowledge makes the contact or connection between these two. Now there is an instrument which is called knowledge with the help of which we know things. I will give you an example what is the idea of Sankaracharya here. If you read the last back cover of the Viveka Chudamani which is translated by Swami Ramakrishnananda, there you will see that there is a, a verse is written there. It is Turiyan. That is Turiyanandaji's translation. So there at the back cover, there is a beautiful, beautiful verse that we are trying to cross a river holding on to a crocodile. Sitting on the back of a crocodile, we are trying to cross the river. That is what is happening with us. We are trying to find security in things which themselves are not secured. 
which are, we are trying to find security in things in this world which are themselves not secured. They are impermanent. Therefore, what would happen? As the crocodile will devour us on our journey, we are being lost in this world. Holy Mother says, this is not wrong to be in the world, but it is wrong to be off the world. We have hired a boat to cross this river to go to the other side. Then after reaching the other side, we don't want to get out of the boat. That happens. Rabindranath Tagore at one place in Gitanjali says, My debts are large, my failures great, my shame secret and heavy. Yet when I come to ask for my good, I quake in fear, lest it be granted lest it be granted. That is the truth about spiritual life. It will be granted provided we are ready to accept it. As we are discussing yesterday, Holy Mother says, if you want peace of mind, don't find fault with others. If you want peace of mind, do we really want peace of mind? Then why do we find fault with others? So they are not proving that we want peace of mind. So here, if we want to get out of this world, we have to practice how to get out of this boat. And that is what is called dispassion, vairagyam. Practicing dispassion, and what kind of dispassion do you have? How much do you own in this world? Suppose really we own something in this world. How much? There is a fire warning. They have said, collect all those things you need. And just simply rush away, there will be, won't be time to take all your belongings and even your house. That is the thing which we need. How much do we really need? The insurance papers, a few credit cards, and like that. We go ourselves. Things will happen in such a manner that we won't be able to take these things also. We have to save ourselves and to run away. Finally, we see that we don't need, after all, how much land does a man need? So similarly, we are trying to find out so much of attachment to this world, but how much is the extent of this attachment? Sri Ramakrishna tells in a very simple language, we are all, you see, very much modern people. So we want to quantize everything. How much does my mother love me? Two ohms, 30 watts, or 50 kilos? We want to quantize like that. We want that thing should be available for counting. Counting by what? By that mathematics which is based on conceptual values. These things are true for us. So Sri Ramakrishna says, okay, I will satisfy your hunger for mathematics. Sri Ramakrishna himself did not like arithmetic. Why? Because he said, it teaches you subtraction. He won't, won't refuse anything. He would accept everything. Therefore, he did not like this arithmetic. So here also he gives us three units of attachment which have to be turned towards one's own self or towards God. A U-turn has, has, has to be given to these three units. And they are not very big. They are not very strong. He is telling the attraction or attachment of a mother to her child. How much is it? The child is the extension of mother's body. Those who are familiar with the childbirth, familiar with the development of a child in mother's womb, that is nothing but the extension of mother's body. So there is a reason that the mother will be attached to the child. But at the same time, the scriptures say 
that these two bodies are different. Inside the mother's heart, the two hearts do not, inside the mother's womb, is everything. How much does my mother love me? Two ohms, 30 watts, or 50 kilos? We want to quantize like that. We want that thing should be available for counting. Counting by what? By that mathematics which is based on conceptual values. These things are true for us. So Sri Ramakrishna says, okay, I will satisfy your hunger for mathematics. Sri Ramakrishna himself did not like arithmetic. Why? Because he said, it teaches you subtraction. He won't, won't refuse anything. He would accept everything. Therefore, he did not like this arithmetic. So here also he gives us three units of attachment, which have to be turned towards one's own self or towards God. A U-turn has, been, has, has to be given to these three units. And they are not very big. They are not very strong. He is telling the attraction or attachment of a mother to her child. How much is it? The child is the extension of mother's body. Those who are familiar with the child birth, familiar with the development of a child in mother's womb, that is nothing but the extension of mother's body. So there is a reason that the mother will be attached to the child. But at the same time, the scriptures say that these two bodies are different. Inside the mother's womb, only one heart pumps. There would be confusion. So when the child is out of mother's body, then the child is a separate entity, not before that. But at the same time, two divine souls live in two different bodies, mother's body and child's body. These are two bodies for the two souls to work out their own karmas. So the relation is at the spiritual level. Sri Ramakrishna says the relation is at the spiritual level, at the level of the soul. Two souls, two divine entities, they are residing in two different bodies. So give a U-turn. Just don't love the child because that is an extension of your biological body. Love the child because there is another divine soul in that body. So therefore find that soul in that. And this is one unit of attachment. It is a big attachment. It is one unit. And Sri Ramakrishna says the next unit is a little fragile. How is it? A husband's attraction to the wife, wife's attraction to the husband. How, the wife is not the extension of husband's body, neither the husband of wives. Then what would be the attraction? It is not much attachment because we find cases of divorce, always, always dividing. We don't mind to divorce because we are not connected in that sense. Therefore, it is a unit which is very, very small, very fragile. This is another. So one plus one, two units. And the third unit is still still worse, it's fragile. It is still small. What is that? A rank materialist's attachment to his wealth. Wealth is neither biological entity or nor and a mental connection. It is just something we have attached our ownership to it. Therefore, these are three attachments which have to be given a U-turn. How big it is? It is like a small bundle. Golapir Ma was traveling with Sri Ramakrishna in a boat. She was carrying a 
small bundle in which she gathered a few clothes and a few utensils given by Balaram Babu. And Sri Ramakrishna, while going, was looking at that bundle again and again, again and again. Golamma felt so much ashamed. This is the bundle which we are carrying. In the Bible, Christ says, it is easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, but, not for, for a, but it is difficult for a rich man to enter the heaven or, or kingdom of God. Now see, there is a different version of this needle. In Jerusalem, there was a tabernacle which had two big doors, one big door, another small door. When the big door is closed, then the small door which was remaining there was meant for people to go in. That is what is called a needle. It may be possible that you can come on camel back and can push the camel and it can go, even a little with little difficulty, it can go, it can go through the eye of the needle. But it is difficult for a rich man. Rich man does not mean that a man has got so much money, a worldly person, a person who is attached too much to the world. Therefore, a worldly man to enter the kingdom of God because he is not ready to go in. That is what is happening. We have come to the other shore. We have come to the gate, but we have come with a big boat. If it were a camel, it would have been a little easy, but we have come with a big boat. Sri Ramakrishna says the size of this boat is so small. It is like a small bundle, and we are carrying this. That is what Rabindranath Tagore says. We are carrying a big bundle, but it is not that big. What is the big bundle? The my, my debts are large. I have taken so much help from people in this world which I could not reciprocate in time. So my debts are large. My failures great. In life I have failed many times. That is great. I cannot give an account of that. My shame secret and heavy. And my shame, I have done so many shameful acts which I cannot share with my friends. They are heavy, heavily on um, creating a burden on my mind. Yet I have the I daring to come to ask for my good. And I don't know that God is there always waiting to grant it. To grant it. That's what is the idea when Sri Ramakrishna says, if you take ten steps towards God, he comes hundred steps towards you. It is almost that God is running towards us. He, with this anxiety, he is waiting for us. And that is the message that when we practice this kind of dispassion, vairagyam, as Shankaracharya says, we have to get rid of our attachment to this instrument which we are holding on to for our journey to the other shore. Thank you very much. Namaskar. Let me have a closing chant. Madhubhātāritāyate madhuksharanti shindhava madhvīrna shanto shadihi madhu naktam mutoshasi madhu matpārthi bhagum rajaha madhu daurastunapita madhu manno banaspatir madhu mahagum mastu surjaha madhir bhavu havantuna om madhu om madhu om madhu May the winds bring us happiness. May the rivers carry happiness to us. May the plants give us happiness. May night and day yield us happiness. May the dust of the earth 
bring us happiness. The heavens give us sweetness. May the trees bring sweetness to us. May the sun pour down happiness on us. May the cows yield us the happiness. Om sweetness, honey, love. Om peace, peace. Peace be unto us all.